All right, um, let's, uh, let's pray tonight and we'll get started class number 17. Amen. Father, thank you for uh, just a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for a comfortable place where we can assemble together. Father, it's a place that you've provided, Lord, and we, we acknowledge you and we thank you for it. Um, Jesus, we understand that, that we're not just here doing this class for you, but we're doing it with you. You're in us and um, you're teaching us and you're leading us and guiding us tonight by your Spirit. I thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention. Father, that the soil in our heart would be prepared and ready to receive the seed of Your Word. And Father, we're calling for a 30, 60, 100-fold return, progress, fruit, harvest, benefit, advantage, Lord, in every life because of this class and Your Word and Your Holy Spirit tonight. Thank You for revelation. Thank You for revealing Your truth to us. Father, things that flesh and blood cannot reveal, but are revealed to us by Your Holy Spirit. And so we humble ourselves before You now to receive Your Word with meekness. And we thank You, Father, for renewing our minds and transforming our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Alright, so we've been um, in uh, the the section of our study um, entitled, What is Man? Yes. That we're not on Facebook. Thank you. All right. So uh, let's check it here. Um, Amen. I'm going to have to slide to stop. So if everybody's listening, we'll do that again. And um, Facebook. Mark Twain's lit. All right. Technical difficulties. All right. Hopefully that got it. Thank you for uh, interrupting me, darling. Okay, so hopefully uh, everybody's with us now on, uh, on Facebook. You checking it? We good? Okay. Are you at Mark Winslet, my Facebook? Hmm. Testing one, two, three. All right. You know, we try really hard not to... I don't want to say professional, but at least not like, you know, unprofessional. But uh, we want to make sure that we're doing this correctly. We're on there? Okay, good deal. Thank you for the confirmation. Apologize for that. Um, Good things coming. All right, so we're in a section of our study where we're answering three very important questions. Um, The third and final question has to do with our purpose. And we said that basically is, why am I? We said we'd never know why we uh, exist until we know who we are, um, and that we'd never be able to understand who we are until, until we understand what we are. And so we're answering this question, what am I? And the first uh, thing that we've stated is that man is a God-class being. Man is a God-class being. Now, if you're new to the class, you may be thinking, I'm in the wrong place. That's a little bit extreme. Um, But we spent, again, almost two hours on this subject already, looking at it very thoroughly in the Scriptures. Amen. It's it's not about what Mom and M's church believes. It's not about what we heard when we were kids. Um, It's what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Remember, our ways are not God's ways because our thoughts are not His thoughts. And so we're learning uh, to see things not through the lens of denominational religion, but through the Word of God, through the truth. Amen. And just to briefly review, 
We said last week that we didn't, we didn't choose this. God chose this for us. And He created us in light of what He ultimately had in mind for us. And that was fellowship. He wanted to have relationship with you. Fellowship with you. So He created you from Himself, after Himself, and He created you comparable to Himself so that He could share Himself with you. Amen. Now, we've worked our way systematically through several things. I want to draw your attention now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And the last, the last thing I want to, I guess, point out to you, and, and we've been talking about this in different ways on Sundays here at Heritage, um, is what the Bible teaches about our oneness with God. Our oneness with Him. And again, if you've never heard that expression, it could seem a bit extreme, and I, and I understand that. But again, we're most interested tonight in the truth. And if the truth sets us free, lies, believing things that are not the truth, or not knowing the truth is what keeps us locked into bondage and, and into the inability to move beyond uh, one thing into the greater things of God. And we know that some chains are stronger than others. Right? Some things are, are easier to walk away from than others. And so if there's different strengths of chain that would hold us back, then we also see corresponding to that is that there's different strengths of truth. Uh, for instance, the Bible identifies or classifies some truth as milk, while it also identifies, classifies other truth as strong meat. Amen. And so um, we're moving from the bottle to the meat. Amen? And, um, and if we will hang in there with it and develop an appetite for it and allow it to become a part of us. Because that's the whole idea, right? The milk, you, 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 you drink the milk, the milk becomes a part of you. Amen? But there's a higher density uh, of, of protein and nutrition in meat, um, but it requires more effort to prepare a meat-based meal, and it requires more effort and more time to, to eat you know, chew up and swallow a meat-based meal. Amen. Um, but that's what we're here to do tonight. Praise God. And so, we said that Jesus came to this earth, and there's two very profound things that we see. We see, first of all, that He is the groom, and He's looking for His bride. Now, if you're a male, a man, amen, that probably could make you a little bit uncomfortable. But the concept behind that is the oneness that exists between uh, a husband and a wife. The other uh, uh, thing that we see is that Jesus is the head, and He came to this earth looking for a body. And in both of these, the bride, the groom, the head, the body, we see a picture of oneness. A picture of oneness. And so... When we talk about being a God-class being, we see that the Bible teaches that as born-again believers, we are the body of Christ. Amen. And that's not a figurative... Um, in other words, the Bible doesn't say that it's kind of like you are the body or it's like being the body. It, it says that you are the body. Amen. And uh, so, again, let's look at a few verses to support this. Um, some of the most important teachings on marriage and all the Word of God are found here in these passages. I'm not here to teach on marriage. We've been doing that for several weeks. 
on Sunday mornings in the Ephesians class. I, I, I've almost wanted to tell uh, the women, I, women, if you had any idea what I was teaching the men, you'd, you'd cook them breakfast and drive them down here. Amen. Because uh, we're, <laughs> amen. And I believe that um, we got better husbands. I know I'm a better husband because of it. And uh, I pray that the other men in that class that have been participating are as well. But it says in verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Verse 30, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, but this, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what we see in a marriage relationship where, where God joins two together and makes them one, He's saying that that is but a glimpse of what Father God created you and, and me for and what He desires to have with us, to become one with us, and to have that union, that communion, and that fellowship with us on that most intimate of all levels. And he's saying that it's not that our relationship with Christ is like marriage, but he's saying that marriage is like our relationship with Christ. Amen. Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Acts 22. We're talking just quickly as we begin uh, this evening. Um, we didn't get to some of this last week. It really uh, belongs on the tail end of what, of what we finished with last week. We just have the time to, to add all this to it. So if this is your first night with a class, um, and it seems like we just kind of dove straight in, um, it's because we're finishing up and tying up some loose ends. But Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, and verse number 7. Acts chapter 22, and verse number 7. It says this, uh, the uh, Apostle Paul, now, of course, in those, in, when this happened, his name was Saul, originally Saul, now he's been renamed Paul. In verse 7 it says, And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, the reason I wanted you to see this, this passage, and if you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? If you understand what's going on here, um, Saul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He believed Jesus was a fraud and a phony, and he believed the followers of Jesus not only needed to be silenced, but that they needed to be punished. And he oversaw the imprisonment. He oversaw even the, the first martyr, Stephen, when Stephen was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus, it was um, Saul who held their coats so the men could throw the rocks harder and, and literally stone the life out of him. Now, he is on the road to Damascus, and in Damascus, he's going to arrest Christians. He has warrants for their arrest. And this is when, of course, the Lord, uh, can we say it, knocked him off his high horse. It's where the Lord appeared to him, blinded him. From the light. Amen. Um, a, lot of, a lot of euphemisms that we get from that. Blinded by the light, knocked off your high horse. All of that was the uh, uh, Saul, now known as the Apostle Paul. But the simple phrase, Jesus asked him, 
why are you persecuting me? He did not say, why are you persecuting my followers? He did not say, why are you giving my disciples such a hard time? He didn't say, why are you going after people who are just trying to, 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 to do what I said? That's not, he didn't say any of that. He said, why are you persecuting me? So, who was it that Paul Saul was persecuting? He was persecuting individual members of the body of Christ. But notice, Jesus didn't look at them as individual members. He looked at them as Himself. Amen. In other words, I, I, I've got my hand lifted in the air right now. Uh, this hand, although it is not the same as my head, um, it is one with my head because it is one body uh, with my head attached uh, to my physical body. And so when he says this in Ephesians 5.30, that we are of his flesh and of his bones, he is emphasizing the literal nature of this. The literal nature of this as opposed to to um, the figurative. Amen. You are, I want to say it about 16 times, but I'll just say it once or twice. You are the body of Christ. What is man? What is man? Amen. Man's a God-class being. How much like him are we? Well, we established at the beginning of last week's class that we are of the same species as God because things of the same species can have one another's young, and that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. When a human being became impregnated by God and gave birth to his son. Amen. So now we see even that it's, it's not just of the same species with the ability to give birth to his young, but now we see that we are of his flesh and of his bones, that we are one with him. Now, let's finish up this section in Romans chapter 12. Romans, the 12th chapter. And um, praise God. It's hard for me to turn to Romans 12 without uh, reading uh, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, but uh, praise God, I'm not here to teach on 1 and 2 right now. Um, but Romans 12, 1 and 2 are where we're instructed um, to renew our minds um, and, and be transformed through that process. But let's go, uh, for sake of time, to verse number 3. Romans 12 and 3. And this is what the Word of the Lord is to, to us tonight. It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, it's sad to me that when a lot of people hear this, that they hear God saying to them to think little of yourself or to think lowly of yourself. And that's not what he says. He's actually, if you look at the sentence structure here, he's actually telling you and me to think highly of yourself but to not think more highly than you ought to think. Amen. So he's not saying to, to have this poor self-image, low self-esteem, um, but to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Think highly, but not more highly. Okay. Now, context, as is the case with all the Word of God, is everything here. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body... But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what he's saying here is that because each one of us are individually members of Jesus' body, this makes us members of one another. Because you are a member of the same body I'm a member of, we are 
joined together through that common union, communion with Jesus. Amen. In other words, to use the illustration here, my elbow and my thumb are different members, but because they are members of my body, they are members of one another. Now, let's go back to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. What he's saying here is, the one who thinks more highly of himself or herself than they should is the one who thinks they do not need the other members in the body of Christ to fulfill their purpose and destiny. There are a lot of people who just want to have a relationship with Jesus and no other members in the body of Christ. Amen. How dysfunctional would it be if my thumb on my right hand, one of the most, I am right-handed and with the thumb being the dominant finger, right? If my thumb refused to cooperate with any other member of my body other than my head, right? Well, amen, I'm, I'm not going to, my hand's going to be, you know, the usefulness of it's going to be diminished, right? Because again, it's, it's when my opposable thumb works together with my other four fingers, that my hand is useful. The wrist allows my hand to turn, the elbow, the arm to outstretch it, all of these things. Okay? So, if, if you consider, uh, I don't think Matt mind me, he got a sore pinky tonight, right? And it's affecting every part of his body. In other words, it's not just isolated that one part. In other words, my pinky's got a problem, my body's got a problem. Amen. And so, we've, we've got to recognize and, and understand these things, okay? So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The one thing I want you to understand tonight, and if we had time to really do a lot of extensive teaching on this, but the Bible teaches two very important things. First of all, that God understands you, knows you, sees you as an individual, but He also sees you as a member of the collected whole. Amen. So when we talk about what you are, who you are, why you are, um, every purpose that you have is going to involve your relationship to the head, Jesus, and your relationship to other members of His body. Amen. You will not have any purpose that does not connect you or involve you in some way with the head, Jesus, and with other members of His body. Amen. Um, we could say it this way. This is where my, my, I used to say my teenage children, they're not teenagers anymore. They'd roll their eyes, okay? But Jesus doesn't roll that way, okay? That's not how He operates. That's not how He functions. And so to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think that somehow you can uh, be what God created you to be, do what He created you to do, um, without, without an understanding of what you are. And you are a God-class being, a member of the body of of Christ. Amen? That's good news right there. That's good news. Amen. Because the devil tries to make us feel isolated. He tries to make us feel alone. He tries to make us feel like that, that nobody understands. And the Bible makes all kinds of statements. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. In other words, you, you're, you're not going through anything right now. You haven't gone any, through anything in the past, and you will not go through anything in the future that other people haven't gone through or can understand or relate to in some way. And... Um, and so, you know, the enemy's strategy against the body of Christ is multifaceted, but his primary, his primary way of, of weakening us is weakening us through division. Okay? 
Because what we see is that a kingdom divided cannot stand. Um, a nation divided cannot stand. A family divided cannot stand. But we also see even that an individual divided cannot stand. A double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. So division weakens us. Unity strengthens us. Amen? Amen? And so it's up to you and me to not allow things to divide us and separate us from other members in the body of Christ. It's, it's one of God's primary uh, uh, agendas. It's one of His most important uh, things. It's why the Bible even talks about, you know, when the devil stirs up other people. We looked at this last week. Um, says ugly things about you. Despitefully uses you. Even may curse you. The Bible tells us to do what? Do good to them. Pray for them. Bless them. And you'll be just like your Father in heaven. Amen. So again... These things are critically important for us to understand. Now, let's, um, let's do this. So we said, what is man? Number one, we said that man is a God-class being. So let's, uh, let's kind of close the, uh, the, 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 the chapter, the, por- the portion, the section on that, and let's move on uh, to the next one. What is man? Number two, man is a spirit being. Man is... A spirit being. All right. Now, this is um, again uh, extremely important that we uh, that we connect with this, that we understand um, these things. Uh, and uh, I want to give you probably um, three times the number of verses that you need. Uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about this. Okay. Now, before I give you the verses. Before I give you the verses, let's talk about uh, why it's important that we understand this. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Satan is hoping that you never see yourself as a spirit being. He's hoping that you only think of yourself in terms of your outward person. He's hoping that you only think of yourself as a flesh or physical being. And if you understand anything about the things of the Spirit, and if you understand anything about this inward man that the Bible speaks of, um, that, that you will um, you know, still think of your flesh or your outward man, your physical body, as, as being the primary you or the real you. Okay, And so, we've got to... Again, in the interest of not just understanding and wisdom, but in the interest of specifically understanding what we are. For too long, we've thought of ourselves as a flesh being, physical being, or at least a flesh first, physical first being. And that is not what you are. That is, that is not the way God created you. Okay, You are a spirit being that is inside of a soul that is inside of a physical body. Okay, So the real you is a spirit being. If I was to have asked you tonight to make a list of all the different kinds of spirit beings, would you have placed yourself on the list? In other words, people, we know that God is a spirit. We know that angels are spirit beings. We know that demons are spirit beings. We talked some last week in the beginning of the class about some of the other kind of bizarrely described beings uh, in the Scriptures, Ezekiel and things of that nature. Okay, But again, uh, in the years that I've asked people to make the list, 
Rarely, if ever, does anyone put mankind on the list of spirit beings. Because again, the enemy has succeeded in, in confusing us and in, in, in manipulating us into not seeing ourselves that way. But you again are a spirit being. Remember, when God created Adam, Adam was not even aware that he had a physical body until he sinned. Remember, he said, I hid myself and tried to cover myself because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? In other words, he was so aware of, of, of the things of the Spirit, he was so uh, conscious of, of spiritual things that he was not aware of his physical body. We talked about it when we did the section on on uh, heaven's plural. But I remind you, when the Apostle Paul went to the third heaven, he wasn't sure if his physical body went with him or not. He was so aware of the Spirit that was really him that it completely eclipsed, it completely overshadowed his, his outward man to the extent that he wasn't even sure if his flesh made the trip or not. Amen. Now, when we talk about this awareness of our, our spirit and becoming more aware of who we really are as a spirit being, we, we sometimes, uh, especially when we talk about Adam not knowing whether or not he had a physical body until he sinned, but yet I believe it's just the opposite in heaven. I believe heaven looks down on the earth and cannot believe there are so many people on earth that are only aware of their flesh and have no idea of the spirit that resides within this tent, this temporary dwelling place of their spirit. Amen. So we say, how did he not know he had a physical body? And they look at us and go, how do you not know you have a spirit? Right? Because the spirit, again, is the real you. So again, Satan is hoping that you never understand this. Because remember, we don't fight him in the flesh. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The devil is hoping that you never understand spiritual things and that you continue to try to struggle against his tactics and devices and weapons by using your flesh, by using your outward man, your physical body. But again, we've been there, we've done that, we, we've never won like that, and we never will. Because you are no match for Him in the flesh, but He is no match for you when you are in the Spirit. Amen. And so if you never know what you are, that you are a spirit being, ignorant of the devil's devices, 2 Corinthians 2.11 gives him an advantage over you. Now, this quote did not originate with me. To be honest with you, I don't know who said this. If I did, I would give them credit, alright? But... And, and I may be even butchering it at, at best, but, but let, me, let me put it on you, okay? Far too many people see themselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. Think about it for a minute. That was me for a long time. I mean, that was me even after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I, I mean, I was, I was a tongue-talking teenager, right? But I still viewed myself as, as a physical being trying to have some kind of spiritual encounter, trying to have some kind of spiritual experience. 
you know, wanting to encounter God, wanting to experience spiritual things. Very curious about it. Very, very uh, uh, interested um, in the things of the Spirit. But again, I, I looked at it as, as trying to have some type of spiritual experience while my primary existence was physical in nature. But again, let's correct this. You are not a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. The reality is you are a spirit being experiencing a physical reality. Amen. Did you catch that? You are a spirit being living in a physical world. You are a spirit being experiencing a physical environment. Amen. Now, this goes all the way back to our very first classes where we looked at Jesus in the flesh, but also in the Spirit. Touching earth, but also touching heaven. He said He was here, but while He was here, He was also in heaven. He was touching two worlds at the same time. And we said that Jesus was more aware of the world that He came from than the world in which He found Himself. In other words, He was here experiencing a physical reality, and while He was aware of that, He was more aware of the spirit realm from which He came than the physical realm in which He found Himself. And that awareness that He was a spirit being connected to a spirit world, what did He say? All things are possible to him who believes. Nothing is... He never saw a physical impossibility. He said, with man now, this is impossible. With man meaning what? Limited only to flesh, five senses, our connection to this physical world. But if you're connected to God's world, there's nothing impossible in this world. Because God created this world and everything in this world is subject to Him and subject to His Word. Amen. I just did a little quick review there. Praise God. Do y'all remember that? For those of you that were here for that. Okay. So do you see now why the devil is trying to hoodwink you? Trying to trick you and deceive you into thinking that all you are is a physical fleshly being or at best, if you understand things of the Spirit, that they are secondary at most, while still your primary existence and primary reality is determined by your physical existence, your physical reality. And that is simply not the case. Alright, if I could do this, praise God, I want to go through quite a few verses and I want to go through them at, at a pretty rapid pace. Okay, So if, if you don't mind just instead of trying to turn to every one of these, I know you, some of you like to turn and mark them in your Bibles, but if I could, we can, we can make a lot faster time because in really the reason I feel like the Holy Spirit led me years ago to even present it this way is that I want to just show you back to back to back to back to back that it's absolutely undeniable that you are a spirit being, okay? All right, so I'll put them on the screen. But let's, um, let's go through these. All right, John chapter 3, verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Um, James chapter 2 and uh, verse 26, he says, For as the body without the Spirit is dead, 
So faith without works is dead also. Alright, it's been a few weeks since I've given you the correct definition of death. But death means separation. Death means separation. So when someone is spiritually dead, that is when their spirit is separated from God's spirit. Okay? So Jesus came to reconnect our spirit with God's spirit. That's why He said He came to give us life. Right? So spiritual death is when someone's spirit is separated from God's spirit because death ultimately means separation. Physical death is when someone's spirit and soul is separated from their physical body. So notice he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Alright, let's go all the way back to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And verse number 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Okay? So again, this is speaking of death, and, and, the, and the, the physical body was formed from the dust, and it will return to the earth from which it was taken. But the Spirit that was within that physical, fleshly, dust-made body will return to God who gave it. Let me say it to you this way, alright? Think of it like this. We all came forth from God, and we are all on our way back to Him. Amen. And of course, we want to be ready for the day that we return to the God from which we came. Amen. I like to say it this way. Prayer, praise, and worship is a cry from the Spirit back to the source from which it came. Amen. Where we are crying out to our Creator, yes, but also to the source of our very being, which is Spirit. Amen. Acts chapter 7 and verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my Spirit. Luke chapter 8 and verse 55. Then her spirit returned. This is when Jesus raised the little girl from the dead. It says, Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and He commanded that she be given something to eat. Okay? So, notice again that this little girl was dead. Death is separation. Her spirit was separated from her physical body. When Jesus raised her from the dead, He brought her spirit back into her body. And when her spirit returned, she arose immediately, and He commanded that she be given something to eat. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 7. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, I do want you to turn to this one. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 7. I got it up on the screen. But I do want you to turn there. Praise God. This is a cornerstone verse where all this is concerned. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I like to, as a matter of fact, we were teaching in the ladies' class this morning, and, and so they uh, got to get a double dose of this uh, this evening, but, but I, I, re, I like to refer to the physical body as the most expensive and elaborate glove that's ever been created. Amen. Because if you think of your body as a glove that your spirit and soul are plugged into, and as long as your spirit and soul are present within your body, you are living. But 
you know, when I go home tonight and I pull this jacket off, okay, the, the sleeve of this jacket's not going to keep moving around while I preach, okay? It's moving because I'm in it. Are you hearing me? It's moving because I'm in it. My physical body tonight is moving because I'm in it. Amen. The Apostle Paul spoke of his physical body in the third person. He said, I will not allow it to control me, but I will bring it under subjection. So again, he's talking about the primary uh, existence, the, 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 the real you is the spirit that is contained within this flesh and physical body. I'm going to, amen, let me just keep trucking here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body, this is speaking of born-again believers, is to be present with the Lord. Alright, now, hallelujah. Let me keep trucking here. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause for a minute. And um, this, is, this is a work in progress. Uh, but after all these years, at least for this class, we're trading in the stick men for actual, some actual real people. Alright? Now, hallelujah. Alright, so what we see here um, is, uh, and notice these guys are identical, alright? Um, spirit, soul, body. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Drawing close attention to, and we'll spend a great deal of time on this in the days ahead. But I want you to pay close attention to the plural pronouns, us and our. God is a three yet one being. We covered that when we talked about a, 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 a spirit class, God class being. Amen, God class being. So when I, when I look at, um, at, at, at Kim, for example, um, I see his outward body, but the Scriptures tell me that there's actually three of him. There's three dimensions of Kim. Um, because a three-dimensional, three-yet-one God created us as a three-yet-one being. So I like to say it this way. You are a spirit that possesses a soul. Your soul is a part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. And all of that is contained within a physical body. Okay? Now, keep that in mind. Let me put another passage on the board. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So what we understand, let's go back to the, quick, the drawing right quick, okay? What we need to understand is that not only are your spirit and your body not the same, not only are they different, not only are they different in the very essence and nature of what they are, but we also see that they are violently opposed to one another. That your flesh has one set of deep-rooted desires, while your spirit has another set of deep-rooted desires. They're contrary to one another. They are in opposition to one another. They're trying to pull you, amen, um, your three-dimensional being, they're trying to pull you in two different directions. So notice he says, walking in the Spirit is how we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen. Are you still with me tonight? 
Alright, let me, um, we could teach the rest of the night on this. We will cycle back to these things and spend a great deal of time on them, alright? Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. Let me give you a few more verses. He says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So if I know I've, I've really kind of given you a lot of verses to consider all at once, strategically so. But I do want to point out how they've, we've transitioned now in these verses. We started out just looking at the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. But now, we're looking at the Spirit in relationship to the soul and the, and the body. And, and how um, not only that these things are different, but how they interact with one another and how that interaction affects your life reality. Okay? So, Jesus said that the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if, if you're keeping score at home, and those, if you're paying close attention here, uh, this is something we can all relate to. Where there's one part of us that, let's say, wants to do something healthy or something good, something positive, maybe do something for somebody else. And then there's this other part of us um, that, that's, that's pulling us in a different direction, that's trying to override that. When Jesus asked the disciples to pray, they agreed, they said yes, but they kept going to sleep. Amen. And it wasn't that they didn't want to pray or that they didn't see the need for prayer, but again, there was a part of them that was pulling against the desire of their spirit to, to spend time in prayer on that particular evening with Jesus. All right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Furthermore, we've had fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? To the Father of spirits and live. Amen. God is a spirit. You are a spirit. And God is the Father of your spirit. Amen. Now, we had, we had dads, moms and dads, who you know, disciplined us in some way that at times required a punishing of our flesh. And that maybe was through grounding or corporal punishment or, or what have you. Okay, And so what happens, because we don't understand we're a spirit being, we, we look at hard times in our, in our lives, physically you know, hard times in our lives, as God punishing us because we think in terms of Him punishing our flesh. Listen, He's the Father of your spirit. Amen. He's dealing with you on a spirit level. Amen. We see that the anger, the wrath of man is powerless to produce the righteousness of God within a person. Because we only think in terms of our flesh, we tend to live an outside to inside life. And that is exactly opposite to the way that God created us to live. So, before I go any further, and I'm going so fast, I'm kind of looking down at my notes every now and then, praise God. Before I go any further, let me just remind you that your body was meant to serve you. You were never meant, you were never meant to serve it. Yes, sir, did I see a hand over? Amen. Your physical senses were meant to be a blessing to you, but they were never meant to rule you. Amen. Now, I think we've talked about this in here. Let me just very quickly, all right? Your physical senses connect you to and, and, and enable you to function in a physical world. Amen. And they were created by God, and they were meant to be of great service and benefit to you. Okay? 
But we were never meant to be ruled by our senses. What happened when we lost our heart connection with God, we chose to substitute in place of our heart something called the human brain. Amen. Thank God for the human brain. God created the human brain. But the human physical brain, or as I like to call it, your meat computer, it is not the same as and is a poor substitute for the spiritual heart that God put within you. Amen. We are to be led by the Spirit in our innermost being. But when we lost that connection and that ability, we, like someone who loses their, um, their sight and they learn to read by their sense of touch, or someone loses their hearing and they learn to listen with their eyes, substituting one faculty in place of another. That is exactly what mankind did when we lost our heart connection with God. We substituted our brain in place of our heart. And while our brain is important, again, it is a poor substitute for the heart because we're ultimately created to live by faith. Faith has to do with the heart. Sight has to do with the brain. That's why he says we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. And again, I'm just... I'm, I'm saying a lot of things here because I'm trying to get you to see if we're deceived by the enemy into thinking flesh first or flesh only, physical body first, physical body only, we're missing the connection to the way God ultimately created us to live. So what is man? Man's a spirit being. And do you see now, the more we talk about this, why this understanding is so important. Alright? So, are our physical senses important? Yes, but are we to live by them? No. No. See, we, put, we say seeing is believing. What in the world? We put so much confidence in what we see like we've never been deceived by what we see. Amen. I was, I was backing in the drive um, the other day and the other evening after church Sunday night. I was backing in the drive looking over my shoulder. And I jumped like that, right? And my first thought was, what in the world is John Mark doing in the front yard? Right? It was a snowman that we put out there for Christmas. Amen. Again, my eyes deceived me in that moment, right? You follow what I'm saying? We, we think that what we see is like the end all and be all. And it absolutely, positively, is not, is not, is not, is not. All right, you got time for just a few more on this subject. Amen. John chapter 6 and verse 63. It is the Spirit, Jesus said, who gives life. The flesh profits a whole lot. Is that what it says? The, is that what it says? The flesh profits nothing. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Bread is to your physical body what the Word of God is to your spirit. He said the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Alright, now, I want you to turn to this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Are you seeing a pattern here? If you're not, I'm fixing to go back to those last 50 verses we looked at, or how many it was. All right. Are you seeing a pattern? Yes? No? Maybe? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, I'm going I'm to put verse 16 on the screen, but I want to read 
In addition to that, I want to read uh, verses uh, 17 and 18 as well. All right? So it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are, are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. Things which are not seen are eternal. So notice, he's saying the correct way to live is not by focusing on what we can see with our physical senses, but by focusing on what we can only see through the eyes of faith. What we understand and know to be true because God has revealed it to us by His Holy Word and by His Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, let's talk for a moment about verse 16. Verse 16 is a verse that the Lord used to really answer some questions for me in my own life personally and, and then also um, in, in my ability to preach and teach these things to other people. And it has to do with our being a spirit being. Okay? Now, he says that we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because there's more to life than meets the eye. Physically, it may look over. Physically, it may look impossible. Physically, it may look like there's no way out. We don't look at what we can see. We look through the eyes of faith at what we cannot see. And if we do that, we won't lose heart. Peter started sinking when he started thinking, right? When he started, when he started looking at what was going on around him. When he started looking at what he could see. The Bible says when he saw the wind. You realize you can't see wind. All you can see is the results or the effects of the wind. You can't see wind. But he took his focus off of Jesus and he set his mind on the things of the flesh and he began to sink. As long as he was focused on Jesus, he was walking on the water. Amen? Now, he says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, I want you to get this. Man, I want you to get this as much as I've ever wanted you to get anything that I've said in here. Okay? Because this is going to help you. I believe in Jesus' name. This is, this is going to be a difference maker. For a lot of folks tonight, watching over the internet and present in the room, okay? First of all, he talks about the outward man and the inward man. And as we've been saying now for several minutes, there is a difference. The outward man of the flesh versus the inward man of the heart. The outward man of the flesh versus the inward man of the heart. 
Now, in the same way that your outward man gets hungry, your inward man gets hungry as well. The problem is we know what physical hunger, outward hunger feels like, but we're often clueless as to the symptoms and the, and the sensations of the inward hunger of the heart. But more often than not, the inward hunger of the heart manifests itself in our lives through what I call dominant negative emotions. Now when we begin to experience those dominant negative emotions, what we're really experiencing is starvation of our inward man. Unresolved issues and unmet needs of the inward man. And the critical mistake the overwhelming majority of people on planet earth make is this. They try to satisfy the inward hunger of the heart with the outward things of the flesh. Why? Because we don't know what we are. We don't know that we are a spirit being. We understand our flesh. We understand fleshly appetites. Good, bad. Uh, we understand them all, right? But what we don't understand is the inward man, the spirit man, if you will, and the needs and the, and the appetite and the hunger that it has. And so we try then to satisfy inward hunger with outward things. And what happens with that is twofold. We can never satisfy the inward hunger with the outward things, but the more we try, the greater the dissatisfaction and the greater the appetite we create for outward things. The Bible calls it the deceitful lusts of the flesh. I say it this way, pardon the expression, one is not enough, one's too many and a thousand is not enough. And a thousand's not enough. It's, a, it's, a, it's an addiction euphemism, sister. In other words, um, can't be quenched, can't be satisfied. But the trick the devil plays on us is the more we anesthetize the inward hunger of the heart, we're creating debilitating appetites for those things in our flesh. Now there's another truth here, though that will absolutely change your life if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to help you see it. And that is, in His revealing of the outward man and the inward man, He talks about the two realities taking place at the same time in the outward man and the inward man. He says that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed. So the idea behind the outward man perishing is that he's talking about the reality of us getting older. He's talking about the reality that this physical body in its current state was not meant to live forever and that it reaches a peak and then begins a gradual decline. Okay, 
Now, I'm not here speaking fear, death, and negativity on you, but it is a reality. It was appointed unto man once to die. After that, amen, the judgment. It's not pleasant to talk about, but again, true, real, nonetheless. Okay? So he says the outward man is perishing in a state of decline. But the inward man is not perishing, but is being renewed day by day. He's saying while my outward man's getting older, my inward man's getting newer. While my outward man's getting, getting weaker, my inward man's getting stronger. Are you seeing this? So what he's talking about here is two realities. Come on now. Two realities taking place in the same being at the same time. Let me say it another way. We think, well, wait a second. How could we at the same time be getting older and getting newer? How could we at the same time be declining and increasing? How could we at the same time be getting weaker and getting stronger? Are you, are you following what I'm saying? In other words, we think it's got to be one or the other. We think it's, it's, it's got to be um, either increase or decrease, weaker, stronger, decline or incline, right? You follow what I'm saying? We can't be going up and down at the same time. But yet he says at the same time, his outward man is in decline, his inward man is on the rise. Amen. Alright? Now, the bigger picture that I'm wanting you to see here. And this is important for a lot of reasons, and it's going to be extremely important for some of the things that we're going to look at down the road, okay? And that is, amen, that you as a born-again believer have two opposing realities taking place within you simultaneously. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. And verse number 1. Galatians chapter 4. And verse number 1. Yes. Taking place, ongoing, at the same time. Okay? Let me get a little bit ahead of myself. So, I'm not sure exactly the, the word that I said. The question, amen. So, I'm trying to repeat the questions for people listening. So, got a question about the starvation thing over here. Over here was just clarification on the two opposing realities at the same time. Alright. So, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what we're looking for on this. But the idea is, the outward man has appetites, the inward man has appetites. We know what sensation, what physical hunger feels like. We often mistake the inward hunger of the heart, which again, typically manifests, we experience it, as dominant negative emotions. Okay? In other words, when we're not, um, we're getting way, way ahead of ourselves now. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, the ability for us to be physically healthy and physically prosperous is directly dependent upon 
how healthy and how prosperous we are inwardly. You can't have outward health and prosperity without inward health and prosperity. Okay? So the way that we become healthy inwardly is we don't live by physical bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus said the flesh profits nothing, but it's, it's the Spirit that gives life, and the words that He speaks to us are Spirit and they're life. So we've got to nourish and cherish our inward man by feeding it so that it can be strong and whole and healthy. All right? so, but what happens, and, and you could almost just you know, understand addiction and how people wind up in addiction by understanding this simple principle. There's some unmet need, unresolved issue in our lives, some thing we can't quite seem to put our finger on, then all of a sudden, um, maybe it's insecurity, may, maybe we're just uh, your social anxiety, and then somebody gets a couple of beers in them for the first time, and now they're the life of the party, right? And, and so, man, this is, you know, how many times have I heard people say that the first time they used crystal meth, for example, that their first thought was, this is how I'm supposed to feel, right? This is what I'm supposed to feel like, right? No wonder, I'm, you know, where's this been my whole life, right? But, but so the, the deception is that whatever this was inside of us that we could never quite scratch or, or figure out, that this outward substance somehow now has resolved this. It has not resolved it, okay? Because it's a deceitful lust, meaning it can't be satisfied, but we keep trying with women, with sex, with men, with, with whatever, with, with alcohol, with money, with food, gambling, pornography, whatever. We, all these outward things of the flesh that give us temporary relief of, of these symptoms, these, 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 this gnawing uh, you know, hunger inside of us, right? We think we're feeding it. We think we're fixing it. We're not. But again, the deception is when we try to satisfy that inward hunger with the outward things, we're creating a dependence in our flesh for those outward things. It takes more and more and more to get the same temporary relief until the next thing you know, we're not even doing it because it's fun anymore. We're just doing it to keep from throwing our organs up out of our body. Is that, I don't know if I... <clears throat> amen. Maybe I did, brother, and I don't... I, amen. Okay. Okay. 83 and probably the oldest one in here. I'm saying it for the camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what Sister was talking about was her hunger. Because ultimately, that's what our hunger is for Him. Our hunger is not just for the disciplines of Christianity. In other words, we hunger for the Word because the Word reveals Him. We hunger uh, for church attendance because church attendance is where we fellowship and, and commune with Him and with other members of His body. We hunger for worship because worship is where we encounter His Spirit. Amen. Our, tr our true hunger is for our Father and, 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 and oneness um, with Him, right? 
And, and so, you know, that's the ultimate unresolved, uh, uh, you know, issue and unmet need in our life is our, is our need for Him and all the issues that we have because we don't have that kind of oneness and fellowship with Him that we were created to have and, and to experience. Um, you know, in, in our daily lives, not just a few times on Sunday, you know, when we feel like getting up and going to church. Amen or oh me. Praise God. All right, thank you for that, sister. Taste and see, brother. Praise God. Taste and see. All right, so Galatians 4 and 1. So let's, let's get back to this now. And I want to try to explain to you, I can explain it after, I can explain it before, I can explain it during, and this time I might just do it all, I might do all three, before, during, and after. But So the, the idea is, watch this now. Anybody born again in the room? Okay. Now, you may know this, you may know, not know this, but the, the moment you were born again, you became just as righteous in the eyes of God the Father as Jesus Himself. You became His righteousness. Righteousness is as much a part of your spiritual DNA as brown eyes are to my physical DNA. Okay? All right, but now watch this. Because we don't know we're a spirit being, or if we understand anything about spiritual things, we think primarily physical being, secondary spirit being. Right? We think that if we're struggling with unrighteous behavior, that somehow that means we're not righteous, or we are not righteous anymore. That would be wrong. Okay? You say, well, wait, wait a second, Pastor Mark. It's, it, I either am or I'm not. Well, you're either increasing or decreasing. No. That's not what he said. You're, you're either, you're either uh, uh, you know, becoming weaker or becoming stronger. No, no, that's not what he said. He said there's one dimension of your existence that's in a state of decline. But there's another dimension of your existence that's in a state of incline, a state of increase. That's, that's not getting weaker, it's getting stronger. And the part of you that will live forever is the part of you that's getting stronger. The part of you, amen, that will live forever is the part of you that has already been made just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself. Amen. So we're talking about, again, I'm trying to help you with the Holy Spirit, and ultimately He's got to reveal this to you, and that's my prayer again, is that you will see, because you know, the, what the lie the devil tells us is, you're not healed, your body's still hurting. You've still got a fever, you're not healed. How can you be healed and still having symptoms at the same time? You're not rich. You've still got all kinds of debt. How can you be rich and poor at the same time. So, so we look at our bank account and we say, well, the Bible says I'm rich, but my bank account says I'm poor. The Bible says I'm healed, but my symptoms say uh, I'm still hurting. And so we think we've got to choose that it can't be, it's got to, it's got to be either or, that it can't be both and. That we're either righteous or we're not. And if we had a pretty good week and hadn't cussed anybody out and been to church a few times and read our Bible a couple mornings, woohoo, look how righteous I am. But oh, we've had a rough week, people cutting us off, foul mood with the kids, kick the cat, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I'm just staying home tonight, Pastor Mark. I ain't about to come to church. Right? 
As long as you allow your outward behavior to be what you use to determine your understanding of what and who and why you are, you're always going to be confused. That's why the best advice I could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. If He says you're rich, say you're rich. That's why He said let the poor man say I'm rich. If He says you're strong in Christ, then say I'm strong. This is why He says let the weak man say I'm strong. It requires zero faith to talk about how poor and broke you are. It requires zero faith to talk about how weak you are. But all of a sudden you realize that I am strong in Christ. I am rich in Christ. I am powerful. I have authority. You see, now notice what are we doing? We're lining up our thoughts with the inward reality of our born-again spirit instead of continuing to align our thoughts with the outward reality of our flesh. See, it can't be both at the same time. It absolutely can and is. But there's one part that's temporary. The part that's giving you the most trouble is temporary. The part of you that's right, that's right is Jesus, is eternal. Amen? All right, Galatians chapter 4. I'll give you 30 minutes to find it. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) He says this, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. He had to read this verse about five times just to put together what in the world is he saying. You'll never understand it unless you understand inward reality, outward reality. That you're, what, what are you? You're a spirit being. The heir, he, he spent the first three chapters of the book of Galatians explaining to us that even if we're Gentiles, the blessing of Abraham has come upon us in Christ Jesus. That Jesus was made a curse for us because He was nailed to a tree for us. And He became a curse for us as our substitute so that we could receive the blessing of Abraham in our lives. And so He makes this whole elaborate case of, of, of what's true about us now because we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Then He comes to this passage. And you think, well, is He talking out of both sides of His mouth? Absolutely not. But I'm sure... You know, like us, there are other people that are like, okay, Paul, I got everything you and the Holy Ghost are saying here, but if that's true, why is this like this in my life? If that's true, why am I still struggling here? If I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, if I am as blessed as Abraham, and by the way, Abraham was not only blessed, he was blessed to be a blessing. And, and the Bible says that God made him very rich. And not just in rich emotions or rich spiritually, but rich physically. Amen. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And He adds no sorrow with it. Amen. So again, all of this, if you want to just grab hold of it by faith, I'm encouraging you to do so. But, and this is the case that Paul is making. But then people say, well, he must not be talking about me because I'm broke. He must not be talking about me because nothing ever works out for me. He must not be talking about me, blah, 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 blah. So notice he says, the heir, and all that that means, that I just tried to give you a thumbnail version of, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all in life reality from a slave, even though he is master, lord of all. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about the inward reality. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. 
You're God's own special people who were not a people, but are now His own people, right? That's who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Remember my favorite definition of discipleship. Finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Because you became something through the experience that you were not before. But because we tend to think like the person we were instead of the person we became, we still tend to live like the person we were instead of the person that we became, aligning our thoughts, words, and actions with the outward things of the flesh rather than aligning our thoughts, words, and actions with the inward reality of the heart. So what is he saying here? He's saying, look, you're joining air with Jesus. As long as you're a child, your life reality is going to look more like a slave instead of the son, daughter that you truly are. It's going to look more like a slave instead of the, the King James Version says, is Lord of all. It ties directly with Romans 5, through an abundance of grace and gift of righteousness, we rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Now all this is important because I know what's next, okay? But we're laying some groundwork here that's really, really important. All right, now, I want you to see this verse, so turn with me there. Hebrews 10 and 14. Hebrews 10 and 14, okay? It says, for by one offering... I hear you turning, I'll let you turn. Praise God. When we started tonight, it was about 60-something degrees in here, so for the first night we turned a little heat on for a little while. Praise God, I hope you're not too hot, so... Um, I don't know if you've looked at the watch lately, but it's already 6.25. So, Where does the time go? My goodness. Holy Spirit heating us up? All right. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. I want you to see it, okay? I want you to see it with your eyes. If you underline mark, I want you to mark it. It's really, really powerful verse. It says this, For by one offering, this is speaking of Jesus being one sacrifice for all sin for all time. For by one offering He has perfected forever, past tense, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. One more time. One offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. If you don't understand are being sanctified, it's talking about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives where... We are being set apart from this world and the things of this world and the ways of this world unto the things of God, the ways of God uh, in, in, in the life that He created us to live. Yes, sir? There you go, brother. For one offering He has perfected forever. It says those who are being made holy, sanctified as holy. Excellent, okay? So, I'll give you this in, in greater explanation at a later date. But we tend to think of um, righteousness, godliness, and holiness as all being the same thing, and they're not. Righteousness is a state of being. Godliness is a state of doing. Godliness is all the things that you do now because you've been made righteous. Reading your Bible, coming to class, sharing uh, the Gospel with other people. All these things that we do, these disciplines, these these, these actions, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. Um, godly life, living a godly life. That's a choice, okay? Holiness, it's all the things we don't do anymore because we've been made righteous, okay? So righteousness is a state of being. Godliness and holiness are states of doing, okay? And so this is uh, up to you and me, separating ourselves. Now the Holy Spirit helps us. He's in us both to will and to do what is Father's good pleasure. 
Alright? We have to cooperate with Him in the godliness and the holiness part. It's one thing, let's go back to that child versus a slave. The blood of Jesus made you righteous. Amen. But character comes, right? Character comes through walking it out. Amen. Alright. It's possible to, to inwardly be as right as Jesus, in the, but outwardly still be struggling in, in areas of character. Amen. Holy Spirit will help you with that. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. That's good news. But it's true nonetheless. So notice again, has perfected, not temporarily, has perfected forever. If you just had to guess, what part of you would you think has been perfected forever? <laughs> Your spirit, right? The Bible says it this way, we've been called to the spirits of just men made perfect. Amen. So, that spirit part of you, the real you, has been perfected forever by one offering. Okay? But notice he says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Well, how, how, how can one part of me be perfect and another part of me still need work? How can one part of me be strong and another part of me be weak? Or one part of me getting stronger, one part of me getting weaker? So again, he's talking about these two realities taking place in you at the same time. Whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Amen. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. See, you see, you see the difference there? So he makes us, because we can't make ourselves these things. He makes us free. If you're born again, amen, you're free. If you wait until you see evidence of your freedom in your flesh to believe you're free, you'll never see it. You've got to believe you're free and say you are. <laughs> Even when it looks like, feels like, seems like you're not. Amen? Alright, I'm going to stick the guys back up there again right quick. Alright? So, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Okay? How about this one? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Alright, so what He started, His commitment to you, is He will finish. Alright? Amen? I got another one for you. We're about out of time. 2 Corinthians 5 and 16. Therefore, from now on, who remembers this one? From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. And why did we say we do not regard people according to the flesh? Because it ain't really them. It's temporary. One other thing we say, those are perfectly good answers, right answers. We also said the flesh doesn't tell the whole story. Flesh doesn't tell the whole story. Come on now. Flesh doesn't tell the whole story. The bad part and the good part still doesn't tell the whole story about what's true. 
That's why we can't be judging folks. That's why we're told not to judge people. Because we judge according to the flesh. And that's never the full picture of what's true. Of what's true about us. Amen. All right. Amen. I got a few more minutes. I'm going to push on. Is that okay? Can we push on a few more minutes? Well, amen. Let's talk about that for a minute, sister. For those of you who are listening and wondering why everybody's laughing, Sister Betty said, so we're to tell the soul to shut up and listen to the Spirit. Amen. So David would say things like this. He would say, soul, we're going to magnify God. Right? In other words, if you, if you read the writings of David inspired by the Holy Spirit, he often spoke to his own soul. Now, you've got to understand that your spirit and your soul are not the same thing. Your soul is the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. It's your mind, emotions, and your will. Right? And it's like a toggle switch. If I was to reach over and turn that light off, we wouldn't go, you know, like to a state of semi-lit room, semi-dark room. It's either on or it's off. It's either light or it's not. Amen. And your soul was created by God as almost like a liaison. In other words, your soul speaks the language of your flesh and body, but it also speaks the language of your spirit. Remember, these two are opposed to one another. But your, your mind can function in the things of the flesh, we, of necessity, right? And then our, our mind, though, once we're born again and we have the mind of Christ, it can now function in the things of the spirit. Okay? So, when we talk about our salvation, the same Bible that says you have been saved also says you are being saved and also says you will be saved. And denominational lines are drawn around differences of opinions about what those verses mean. I'm offering to you tonight that it's all three at the same time. Your spirit has been saved. Your soul is in a work in progress. It is being sanctified. Your mind is being renewed. Um, you are being set apart, okay? Um, so you have been saved, you are being saved, and your body is the future, is the, the future tense of your salvation. When the Bible says that body, this body that we live in now, Paul called it a tent, but he says we have a home. And he's not just talking about a mansion in Father's house. He's talking about a body, a glorified body, that's already prepared. It's already waiting for you in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we step out of this body, we don't cease to exist. We go to the, back to the source from which we came. We looked at that in Ecclesiastes. But we also see, praise God, that God has a glorified body comparable to the born-again spirit that's already inside of this physical body. Amen. Amen. So, the renewing of the mind. If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, the Bible says you're going to go after the things of the flesh. But if you set your mind like you've done for the last hour and 35 minutes now in this room, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you're going after the things of the Spirit. Amen. And if you go after the things of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's our responsibility according to the Word of God, and I'll show it to you when we get to the renewing of the mind section of this teaching, but it's our responsibility to take thoughts captive. The enemy tries to attack our minds with thoughts, and if we, if we do not bring those thoughts captive, those thoughts will capture you. Amen. 
And so we have to do we have to fight that fight in our minds. Yes. I believe that. Um, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. What the Bible does say, and we know for certain, is what you said that the or maybe I maybe I was fixing to say that the devil puts thoughts in our minds. He's the father of lies, not just a liar. He's trying to impregnate you with his lies. We even use the concept of conception to refer to both thought and pregnancy, right? So when he puts thoughts in your mind, he's hoping that you will hold that thought long enough until it becomes something you conceive of. Okay? Yeah, and it really, it really, it's great, it's, it's good, because obviously the devil's also the author of confusion, and so he tries to confuse us, um, and, and that's why it goes back to it lining up with the Word of God. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I heard somebody say like, you know, the devil's not going to put it in your, in your mind to, to go bless somebody, to go pray for somebody, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yes. Exactly. The Bible says, take no thought by saying. Take no thought by saying. And so, that, a lot of times those thoughts come in. The devil's trying to get that thought in your mind long enough for you to speak it, say it out of your mouth, right? And that's how we take those thoughts. Just waving? Okay. Awesome. Well, let's, but let me give you, the, let me give you the, the better version, okay? Remember, every time the devil messes with you as a born-again believer, he's rolling the dice. Because if he messes with you and you resist him, all he succeeded in doing was making you stronger and harder to deal with the next time, okay? But his only option is to mess with you because if he don't, you're going to stomp a mud hole in him every day of your life, okay? All right. So, what I, those of you who Austin's asking, like, so I got something going on with me, the devil's put it in my mind. If, if I confess that to my counselor, is that not communicating to the devil? Aha, I've got him, I found a weak spot, and I'm, and I'm going to attack him. Well, that, I guess that could potentially be the case. But the bigger understanding here is that the devil hates to be exposed, he hates for us to bring his lies to the surface. How many times. Have I, how many times have you had some crazy thing going on inside your mind that was tormenting you, that was causing you fear, and all of a sudden when you put it out on the table, it almost became laughable? I hear you laughing back there, Grady. It was almost like, why in the world? You know, because again, he makes his living in the shadows, he makes his living in secrecy, he wants us to keep secrets and hide things, and 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 he'll give us all kinds of, of excuses. That's why, you know, even even have a spiritualizing. Um, our dysfunction. So you know, you got to own it for you can disown it. And, um, but remember, the, the, James 4 tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will take his junk and run from you. Okay? And run from you. So I would say expose him. Expose him. Expose him. Uh, don't give him credit, but expose him. Amen. 
Matter of fact, you can expose him this way. Man, let me tell you how stupid the devil is. He had the audacity to tempt me with taking my own life. Is that not the Can you believe he even tried that? That fool. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. My life's not my own to do with as I please. I've been bought with a price and I've got a purpose, an eternal purpose and grace in my Father's kingdom. You see, so you're exposing him, right? You're taking those thoughts, you're bringing them captive, right? Because what we're talking about here is any thought that tries to exalt itself, elevate itself above what the Word of God says. And, and, and the more familiar we become with the Word of God, the, you know, again, back to what, what uh, Dusty was saying, how, how do we know? Well, again, you know, when I used to count lots and lots and lots of money back in Chick-fil-A, River Chase Galleria, fast food days before the days of debit cards and all that stuff, right? It was almost a cash-only thing. Um, you, you can't keep up with counterfeiters. So the best way to spot a counterfeit is to know what real money is so well that you can be sitting there slinging through, you know, counting a, a stack of 20s and you know when it left your finger it wasn't real because you're so familiar with what the truth is, you recognize the counterfeit that fast. You recognize the counterfeit that fast. All right. Amen. Yes, sister. Cast them down. Remember, Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the more accurate translation is whatever you release having already been released in heaven, whatever you take authority of having already been rejected, bound in heaven, will be bound in your life. So absolutely, you take authority over the devil in the name of Jesus and, uh, and command him to go. To command him to go. Get gone from here. Praise God. But notice, like, when I was doing all that a moment ago, greater is he that sent me, all this other stuff, that's, that's purposely, deliberately, intentionally setting my mind. Setting my mind. Are you, are you, are you follow what I'm saying here? This is, this is one of the um, least understood and most important areas of discipleship. And, and again, we, we will spend a couple of weeks at least on renewing the mind and what that looks like and why it's so important. But while we're here on this subject, you know, to, to um, on purpose do it. See, we think that we're just at the mercy of whatever comes along. The Bible says, and probably the first verse we look at in the service tonight, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And that word let literally means allow. Allow it. Amen. And so, what's in our heart in abundance going to come out of our mouths, going to determine the course or the agenda that our lives follow. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, wow. Let's see. Where were we? I know I'm out of time. Let me give you... Uh, you want number three now or you want to be a surprise next week? Now? Okay. So what is man? This is where we'll begin next week. What is man? Man is a God-class being. Man is a spirit being. Number three, man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. Praise God. You don't want to miss it. I promise you. It'll, it'll change your life. And you begin to understand, because see, we got this crazy idea that everything that happens on planet earth is somehow magically, deliciously God's will, and it's not. I'm going to show you in Scripture that things happen on this earth that are not God's will, and I'm also going to show you in Scripture that there are things that are His will that do not happen on earth. So just because God wills it doesn't mean that that's the way it translates out to be in our lives. And again, I'm not trying to make you nervous, but we've got to understand what we are. And as long as we're ignorant of these things, 
then the devil's got an advantage over us. But we're, not, we're taking that advantage away from him. Amen? All right, let me pray for you and bless you. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for those that are, that are listening, watching through the internet, those that are present in the room. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in each life. I thank you, Father, that we're leaving here more spiritually minded, Father, than we were when we arrived here. And that is a very good thing because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters with life and peace tonight. I thank you for all that you have in store for us in the remaining of this day. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. I love you all. Thank you for being here.